Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Today, we are joined by Vic Martin, head of client risk and compliance at Tenex Future Technologies. Vic, welcome so much to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, um, first off, can you tell our audience a little bit about your compliance journey? Um, the joke we always have is, you know, typically what we ended up doing has probably very little to what we thought we were going to do when we, when we were younger. Yeah, and I think that's the case with me as well. So I, I certainly didn't uh, dream as a little girl as working in compliance. Um, so um, I've got quite a varied background, actually. So um, I um, have worked in sort of the traditional banking um, segment. So I started my career um, at Coots, which is um, well known in the UK as being the Queen's Bank. Um, and um, I uh, started off working in regulated change programs there. So um, worked in a sort of program support role um, on the retail dis distribution review. I then moved um, into a traditional sort of first line risk role um, at RBS. Um, so I worked in uh, the mortgage um, segments, um, specifically again on regulatory changes. Um, and then moved into a um, second line role. So I provided um, the oversight um, for the whole of the savings book for RBS. Um, then around, I was saying about 2016, uh, it was a very exciting time in fintech um, in London. Um, so uh, the licensing um, changed in, in the UK. So it was much easier to start up um, a new bank. Um, and I was lucky enough to uh, work uh, at Tandem, uh, which is um, sort of one of the sort of first neo banks, and that was incredibly exciting. Um, I had the opportunity to essentially start up um, a compliance framework from scratch, and it was great to work with people that didn't necessarily have a traditional banking backgrounds, so that had worked in a, you know a range of different um, areas. Um, I then moved into uh, working in, at ClearBank, which is a, a correspondence uh, bank, um, and was lucky enough to work uh, on two large uh, change programs, so both uh, uh, PSD2 and also um, GDPR. Uh, and then for two and a half years, I moved to 11FS, uh, so quite well known in the fintech pod, uh, podcast space. Um, and I actually had quite a number of exciting clients there. So um, worked uh, with RBS um, on Metal, which is their new SME challenger. Um, also um, have had the opportunity to work for a Saudi client, um, supporting them on their SAMA application um, and also their operating model. Um, and also uh, working with a US client again to do quite something quite similar, like uh, setting up um, an ops model and helping them with their compliance requirements. Um, I have joined 10X, which is a core banking provider. So I've actually only been there for two months um, and I'm their head of um, client risk and compliance. So I work with our clients um, to help them with their risk and compliance requirements and also making sure that um, what we are building from a platform perspective is um, compliant. Well, and, and, and I would just say that uh, regulatory compliance people have always sort of been uh, looked at as the, the the department of no with inside most large banks. And I never found that to be the case. I mean, especially when I was at Santander, these are folks that were trying to enable the organization uh, and just doing things smart and doing things the right way. And so 
uh, hats off to the experience that you've had. Uh, it seems like you've been at a lot of great places and done a lot of good things. Um, so there's there's no lack of news uh, from, from the United Kingdom in terms of fintech, obviously. And, you know, given all the changes uh, in Europe and in, in the UK uh, with GDPR and everything else you've just been talking about, uh, and with Brexit, for that matter, and all the changes there, uh, let's talk about the regulatory nursery and scale box uh, and, and just the context around that. Can you tell us a little bit about what they're trying to achieve with that? Sure. So, I mean, um, it's a very exciting time for, for fintech and regulation in the UK at the moment. So um, we've recently had something called the Khalifa Review, um, which is um, a UK uh, government initiative on how do we make the UK um, like a financial hub for new fintechs. Um, and part of the Nursery and Scalebox is a new initiative that the FCA are going to be launching in autumn which is essentially providing a new enhanced authorization and supervisory framework for um, new authorized banks. So how is this different to what we've got in the UK at the moment? Um, so at the moment, when you become authorized, um, you're essentially treated the same as um, already established banks. And that can be incredibly daunting um, if you are a new fintech. So Usually what happens um, for sort of new authorised banks um, is that they'll have quite skeletal uh, risk and compliance frameworks. So everything will be focused on getting your banking licence application and then suddenly you're a bank. Um, so actually it's a complete regulatory minefield on, you know, both from a regulatory perspective, but also from a prudential um, perspective as well. Now this new framework will actually help those um, early banks to identify and answer some of those questions that they have. I certainly know from my time at Tandem, um, you know, we regularly had compliance questions around our product, where it was quite difficult to get that traction with the FCA. So I think this new enhanced framework will be very much welcomed um, by new fintechs. In terms of what you saw when you were working with regulators outside of the UK, were there a, a lot of changes um, between the way that you sort of worked with a US regulator or a, you know, a Saudi regulator and these type of things when it comes to these type of issues? Because one of the things that's interesting in, you know, the announcement about some of those changes in the UK were that so many people in the United Kingdom use fintech applications. Yeah. But in other geographies, you know, maybe outside of Asia, you're not seeing quite those numbers. And yeah. just this past week, you saw, um, I, th I think it was Chime um, being slapped on the wrist about, you know, calling themselves a bank. Well, those are pretty yeah. minor things that are big deals when it comes to compliance. Um, so, so what are the differences between regions and kind of the experiences that you've had there? Massive. So I, I think particularly with um, the U.S. and also um with Saudi, they're incredibly traditional regulators. So it will be very much, you know, you'll you'll give them a formal proposal for you to have initial feedback on. Whereas actually in the UK, um, we have a much more open dialogue with our regulators. Um, I know with some of the sandbox applications that we've we've I've worked on in the UK, actually um, the FCA really wants to get feedback both on their process but also to help you on that journey so I, I do think there is a very different approach I think we're very lucky in the UK to have um, a very open regulator 
Also with some of the regulation as well, I think we're quite lucky that we can influence that, whereas I've not seen that in other jurisdictions. So, you know, UK finance do, um, you know, a fantastic job in lobbying um, the regulator to actually shape that regulation and make sure that innovation is still happening. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. Sometimes we look at what we have in here, we call it um, the wild, wild west in terms of some of the emerging technology, because there is just nothing around yeah. how do we go about protecting consumers and you end up with patchwork of stuff like something in California and something in different states. You feel like you're in 50 different countries. It's a giant mess. Um, so let's switch topic a little bit. Um, in the very beginning, we talked about how things have changed for many, many of us. Um, and many have switched to working from home, although judging from some of the recent announcements from some of the investment banks, looks like they are eager to bring everyone yeah. back, <laughs> um, which is going across, you know, against the some of the trends that we see. Regardless, um, curious to see what have your team learned when it comes to managing legal and risk processes since everyone is working remotely and looking back at the past 12 13 months um what can be done better yeah so i think we need to acknowledge this is now a new way of working i know particularly in london um you know there is certainly not a rush to to for people to go back full time um, and I know certainly at 10X, you know, we're looking at sort of teams going back to one to two days um, a week. So it's something now that we, you know, we have to accept and work with. Um, I think from a risk and compliance perspective, um, one of the things that is so key is uh, maintaining clear communication. And um, so I work very much on a, a basis that, you know, my team um, and both the business, we have to have that element of trust where we have that open communication. So, you know, the business can feel like they can come to me, raise um, risks. And a lot of my job previously would be people would pop to my desk and ask me a question, you know, if they had a risk concern or a compliance question. So, yeah, a lot of work has been um, invested in making sure that we're still having that open dialogue. Um, I think also um, being very selective in some of the meetings that you attend, I think as a risk and compliance lead, I'm keen to be over everything and that's just not possible. Um, and I'm sure most people have acknowledged, you know, meetings have just gone tenfold um, since working from home because you don't have those organic conversations that you would normally have, you know, at, at the coffee machine, for example. Um, Another really key topic is using the right tools. So, I mean, we're all familiar with Zoom, uh, Slack, for example, but one is making sure that you're using the right tools for your organisation. So, you know, using things that are, have gone through, you know, the correct risk assessments, because I think it's very easy for us to get very excited about a piece of technology and actually, you know, it could create potential customer det detriment or data issues. One of the things I've seen work really well at 10X is... Um, We've embedded uh, JIRA as part of our risk management, so we can easily link risks and issues with actually some of the tickets that the engineers are working. And that's actually been quite a neat way of ensuring that we've got that proactive risk management um, without having to have another meeting. Um, and another thing that I've seen work really well is, you know, like using Miro boards for like retros, which I think probably um, we didn't use as much, but that now is actually a really, really good tool. And, and it me means that you can have quite open and clear conversations. 
And then probably my last point would be um, being patient. So I certainly know that, you know, when uh, COVID hit, essentially all, um, you know, all, all flexibility had to, you know, it had to, it had to restart again because everybody's, um, you know, objectives changed as part of the pandemic. And I saw that as part of um, both our clients' objectives, but also um, our team's objectives. Um, and, you know, it might take several attempts for you to land a point. It's not as easy doing it over a Zoom call or a, or a Slack message. Um, so I think just being really patient and um, just being very clear with your communication. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting this this shift to work from home for for those of us who've worked inside banks for you know many years, and and just the idea of now being inside a bank this past year and not being in house inside mm -hmm. the offices is is very strange because you know especially here in the U.S. you're required to actually be out of the office a certain yeah. period of time consecutively, and that is in many countries the case as well because they're looking for any sort of abnormalities within financial data or any sort of direction uh, where you would be controlling um, maybe potential problems with, you know, taking money and all the rest and all sorts yeah. of crimes. Um, but then you have, you know, this pressure that um, Chase and Goldman Sachs and others are sort of having around um, getting people back into the office more mm -hmm. quickly than maybe they're ready for. And so it's good to hear that in London, uh, especially my former colleagues that were in uh, the London offices, they've actually reduced the footprint of the office. Yeah. They've exactly. made plans for more people to be have having more flexible uh, workspaces. But, you know, access to systems and all the other issues sort of surrounding being in banking, regardless of what part of the bank you're in, uh, has been really interesting from the outside to look into how banks are dealing with this. So that's really interesting to talk about that. Um, let's talk about this then. When it comes to that regulation, the the challenge sometimes is, is there too much, is there too little? I think we've seen plenty of examples of banks behaving badly over the last 10, 15 years from the Great Recession on, which is why we have more regulation now and stronger banking. Um, but will it stifle innovation? You've been at a couple challenger banks and you've seen quite the opposite because you've been working with yeah. the regulators. So, so how, how do you look at that? Too much, too little? Are we going to truly ever stifle innovation just because of regulation? Yeah, I think that's that's a really, really good question. I think, um, look, there's a, it's a very careful balance in, you know, protecting customers' interests and also, um, you know, promoting growth and competition. Um, I think in the UK, we've we've got about just the right balance between regulation um, to support both, you know, customers and also innovation. I think, um, you know, open banking is a great example um, where actually regulation can be a good thing um, and can actually create, you know, a, a lot of very interesting new opportunities for new fintechs. Um, you know, if you look at the likes of like TrueLayer or Bud, some of the really exciting stuff that they're doing um, in, in that area. Um, I mean, it's interesting to compare our market to like the States, for example, where it's quite a complex regulatory framework, which I think puts um, a lot of fintechs off trying to expand in that market. So that balance of, you know, looking at the federal regulation and then also understanding what state do you operate in? Uh, what are the data laws around that, for example? 
Um, and, you know, as I mentioned before, I think we're really lucky that we can lobby um, the regulator. I know that um, when I worked in mortgages, we've actually managed to substantially change that regulation, particularly where some of the Europe standards actually didn't add anything more um, to what we were offering in the UK. Um, and then even like regulation that we think is a bit of a headache actually is a good thing. So, um, for example, looking at GDPR, for example, you know, I I think our data regulation really did need an uplift. Um, and again, protecting customers' data and making sure that that data is being used for the right thing um, is incredibly important. Yeah, I mean, being being here in California with CCPA, this is about as close in the United States as we've been able to mirror to GDPR and the consumer protections alone, being able to understand how your data is being used and have a control of it, I think is one of the biggest um, benefits of this. And, and we don't have the equivalent rollout in the entire mm -hmm. state. So it must be sort of maddening as a compliance and regulatory person to come into the U.S. and Because I do remember the days when, uh, you know, something that had come into this market and there was just a lot of mistakes made because they didn't yeah. quite understand. Um, did you see, you know, when, when you kind of have looked at the difference, especially around consumer data and protections, um, are there opportunities because of regulation in some ways? Oh, yes, definitely. So I know um, particularly, um, you know, looking at some of like the GDPR portability, yeah. some of the some of the banks that I've worked at have actually tried to use that to their advantage. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely do think there is a way that you can use that data. Obviously, you have to have the customer's consent to be able to do that. But um, I think, I mean, GDPR is fairly new still in our country. So, again, I think you'll see um, some new innovation developing over the next couple of years on that. ask you something because the other big topic that's been going on uh, for quite a while now it's along the lines of big tech and banking right mm -hmm. and we have seen quite a bit of interesting development of late especially um, in, in China and how you know the the big tech giants such as Tencent and and Alibaba and, and well and group um, are being told to hey maybe it's time to take a step back and look at what mm. you're doing and start splitting things up a little bit. Um, and then we see the likes of Grab and Gojek in Southeast Asia, and then we see the big techs in India stack. When we look at regulation, we look at, you know, the relationship between the big techs and banking. Um, how do you see that play out in, in the UK? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very topical um, question at the moment. So, um, I think at the moment, uh, I think the regulator will start going to more of an enhanced oversight model with some of the big tech companies. So, I mean, at the moment, um, if you're a bank and you're um, outsourcing to a third party, essentially you have something called material outsourcing. Um, so, you know, if you are outsourcing a particular um, operations that's going to be fundamental to how you run your bank, you need to declare it to the FCA. Now. The actual oversight that the FCA does to that institution is actually fairly minimal. Um, the burden is still very much held with that bank and, and how they are managing that relationship. Um, but one of the things that we're seeing, um, which has recently been issued by the PRA, is actually now starting to put those standards into regulation. 
Um, so, uh, you know, there is there's been recently a policy statement on how you manage your um, outsourcing to third parties and making sure that you are baking in certain requirements um, around that oversight um, as part of your um, supervision. Now, what I would say is most of those objectives already are held in uh, contracts that they have with um, their uh, third party suppliers. But I definitely think that um, the regulator will start taking more interest. Now, one of the things that I um, have educated uh, my teams on at 10x is um, actually the reporting that the, um, our banks will do um, on our stability and operational resilience of our platform. So, for example, if we have a payments incident, um, that could be reportable to the regulator and 10x could potentially be at fault of that. So I think what you'll see in the future is actually um, the regulator looking at some of that data and seeing where there's particular issues with a particular provider um, and, you know, doing some um, supervisory work into that area. I think what will be interesting to see is whether... Um, tech becomes almost like has a light supervisory model around it, particularly where you are seeing, you know, the big four banks starting to move legacy architecture um, onto um, new tech providers, for example. Um, where I have seen a very different approach in, in um, different jurisdictions was quite interesting actually working in Saudi. Um, so, uh, if you materially outsource to a provider, um, you essentially need to have that provider uh, SAMA approved. So SAMA is the regulator in um, Saudi Arabia. And it's almost like a mini banking license application for you to be approved. Now, there are very strict rules around data residency, for example. Um, so it was quite interesting to see the very limited amount of providers that could actually operate um, in that region. And I would say it's quite similar in the US. Um, so um, uh, third party providers are under a lot of scrutiny uh, by federal regulators. And, you know, if there is a major incident, then they can be quite large penalties that federal um, regulators can also um, apply um, to that provider. So, again, I think it's quite an interesting area to see, you know, what big techs um, are deciding to operate um, in those jurisdictions. Well, if there is one word to describe this, it will be exciting, challenging, yeah. but exciting. Yeah. Um, so before we close, we'd like to ask you, we are almost halfway in to 2021. I have no idea what happened to this year. <laughs> what, what does the future look like um, if and when we do get out of this pandemic uh, for 10X and, and, and what are you guys working on? So we're actually in a really, really exciting time for 10X. So we're about to um, go live um, with, um, with well, actually three clients um, in the next couple of months. So um, a very busy time for us to support those clients. Um, we're also in the process of um, actually kicking off discovery for another client that we've just won um, in another jurisdiction. So um, in incredibly exciting for us and also learning to scale our operations um, into like full regulatory environments. So, um, so yeah, it, it's, it's going to be very exciting. Um, so, so yeah, that's uh, very much looking forward to the rest of the year and also looking at um, the potential uh, clients that we might be um, onboarding um, later on in the year. 
That's wonderful. Well, hopefully we'll get to cross the pond and come meet you one day. But for now, thank you so much for joining us. And for the rest of you, thank you for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you next week.